you're going to be a dom, you have to be a dom responsibly. Same with when you are giving out punishment. I'm not in the habit of punishing anybody so that they're maimed permanently or anything like that. You'd be amazed how many ask, and they're absolutely serious. Would I castrate them? Dating can be a total minefield. Trust me, I'm a love coach. But it doesn't have to be. I'm Lucy Cavendish and I'm the later data. I'm single in my 50s. I've got kids and I'm busy, but I really want to go out and meet people and find out all about dating. But it's moved on since I was in my 20s and I'm keen to know what else is out there and what are other ways of doing things. From Aura Studios, this is Later Data, a podcast for the curious, exploring everything across the dating spectrum from online to up close and very personal. In today's episode, I'm going to be exploring something I'm sure lots of people have heard of before, BDSM. That stands for bondage and discipline and sadism and masochism. So my preconceptions of this is sort of women dressed up in PVC and um, leather and sort of stomping all over men wearing high heel boots and sort of men crawling along the floor, licking the floor and women telling them what to do and being whipped, which I have to say, I feel sounds quite good. <laughs> uh, I quite, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I have to also admit that sometimes people contact me as a therapist and get slightly the wrong end of the stick about what I do. And someone quite a long time ago did contact me. And in his culture, he came from abroad. He said therapy wasn't a thing. And could you come over? And then this carried on a little bit. And then it went to, I've hired a hotel room. So if, if I bring some canes, could you come and whip me and I'll call you mummy? Um, and he was offering me quite a lot of money. And ethically, of course, it's against what I do. So, so that's no as an answer. But I did think about it. I thought, well, you know, how do I feel about this? Because I am quite a dominant person. And I thought, well, maybe I could do that. I realised actually that I couldn't. The idea of sort of whipping cane this person made me feel really uneasy. So I'm interested to hear from someone who feels differently about that and does that for a job. So today I'm so excited to be able to talk to Sherry Lever, who at 69 years old is a professional dominatrix. 70, actually. 70. Obviously, no one can see uh, Sherry. I don't know what people think 70 look like, but you look about 50 to me. <laughs> oh, no, thank no, you. No, you really do. So first of all, can you tell me about your job and what services you offer? Okay, I'm a dominatrix. So that means we're into BDSM, which is domination, sadomasochism, but it's a minefield, really. That's the tiny, tiny part of it. Um, it's not sexual. So I do not offer sexual services. There is no touching as far as um, they don't touch me unless it's for foot worship. And I quite enjoy foot worship. But if they go above the ankle, they'll get a slap around the 
ear. So it, it is more about being submissive, subservient, and all that sort of thing. Although there is there is pain involved, a lot are masochists, which goes very well with me because I'm a sadist. But I do try to get my point across because, unfortunately, we're a grey area, so they don't really know where to put us, like everyone's in a box. So our box, we are called sex workers, which I really don't like. Though, unfortunately, to the vanilla population, a sex worker has sex. So I'm always having to go over this. Actually, no, we don't. Okay, so the services you offer do not include sex. It includes some foot worshipping, which you like. Can you tell me a bit about foot worshipping? That sounds rather lovely, actually. Strangely enough, it usually goes hand in hand. If you've got somebody who is submissive, they usually do like feet. And um, for my age, I have much younger feet. But I do have um, a foot slave that comes to me every month and spends about an hour and a half just on my feet. We do everything, exfoliating, massaging, creams, you name it. So my feet are always soft and always look nice. My nails are always done. And if you think about it, if you look at a foot, now... A lot of feet, they're just, some are flat-footed, they're kind of fair, fairly flat. I have a very high arch. If, you're to, if you were to look at my foot sideways on, it actually resembles a woman's body. So, yeah, foot worship, boot worship, that kind of thing is very popular. How do you explain what services you offer? I mean, let's say you have to advertise or, or tell me what you do. What would you tell me? Well, it's all, all on my website. I have all my do's and all my don'ts. And every mistress is different. I don't offer anal play or anything like that. At one time, but now I just do things that I enjoy and I don't particularly enjoy that. I have a lot of sissies. So I've got a whole wardrobe in my playroom with sissies. I've got about 10 or 12 sissy made outfits. And of course, once they're dressed up, then they'll do my housework, whatever I want them to do. So that's mainly what a sissy enjoys. They like to be spanked. Yeah, yes. If they haven't done your floor properly, you give them a spank. Exactly. So there is an element of punishment. But with a sissy, it's not usually very severe because they're not usually masochists. I like it to be fun. So I have quite a sense of humour. So I've got a lot of quite strange masks and outfits. I might send one up on the hill dressed as a gorilla in a tutu just because I want to. When someone contacts you, how do you negotiate what it is that they want? I mean, is it very boundary? Is it very clear? Do you say things like, how do you feel about being in a gorilla suit in a tutu? Or do you intuit what they want? How do people, you know, how do you work out if there's someone that actually wants you to wear a strap on, in which case you're the wrong person? Or they're actually someone who's very happy to do your feet and and do some play? If a first timer or a novice gets in touch with me, then they've either looked at my website, which is very clear what I do and what I don't do, or they've seen me online or on the television. I've been in a few documentaries. And so they're, they're kind of either phoning or emailing or texting, asking for a session. So the first thing I do is I ask what their kinks are. 
because there's no point in having somebody coming here and I just strap them on a bench and, and cane the hell out of them if they're not into it because they'll never come back. So I do have to have a rough idea. So how did you get into this? I actually started, it was not intentional. In fact, I didn't even realise I had a sadistic streak in me. I I had three marriages that none of them were particularly happy and I was the underdog. So I didn't really get a chance to sort of explore my own kind of self, my own characteristics, personality. I just fell into a role and thought, well, that that's what I should be doing. And after I was divorced, he'd left me very financially embarrassed. And so I was working part-time as a chef. I was 59. Being a chef is very hard, hard work. And I just didn't feel I could do it full time. So I knew I had to find something else to pay the debts he'd left. I don't know. I was just flicking through the channels and I came across this... Um, it was a documentary about phone chat, phone sex, phone chat girls. And I just thought, oh, my God. And they were saying they were paying their rent. They were paying their mortgage. They were doing this, doing that. And I suddenly thought I could give that a go. I could do that and keep my job. I did ask my children how they felt about it because, you know, not everyone wants to say, well, my mum's a phone chat girl. No, no. So um, <laughs> they've always been supportive about what I do. My youngest did say, I've only got to say the word sex and you go bright red. And I said, well, I'll cross that bridge. It'd be fine. So one of the girls that was in, in the documentary, I, I found her actually online and I got in touch with her. And so I, she gave me a few tips and I got in touch with a company and I started from there just doing this. Um, it was so poorly paid. I worked hours and hours and hours. But what I did notice was I would guess about 80% of the callers wanted some sort of domination. And they started thinking I was a, actually a dominatrix and they started asking if they could book sessions. And I happened to say to my daughter about it, I always worked upstairs and I would come down and uh, half the time I'd be laughing about some of the calls because they were just hilarious. But I would also say, you know, they think I'm a real dominatrix. They want to book a session. And, and Amy actually said, you know what, mum, you're doing this for peanuts. Why don't you give it a go? So that's what I did. And at the time, I had my conservatory was just a dumping ground. And my daughter had a she'd done a course in beauty therapy. And so she had this bed. So I used to if I had a, an appointment, I used to drag it out, put it up, had a few chains and things. And so for each session, I, it took me a while. As I went on, I was getting more equipment and it was getting to be a real pain bringing it all out, getting it all. And of course, I could only do it when she was at work because otherwise she'd have to go up to a bedroom or things like that. But I wasn't doing anything very significant until this one came along. I think it was a, probably about my third one. And he brought me a present and it was a cane. He asked me to cane him. I thought, oh my goodness me, cane. I just, it hadn't an occurred to me I'd have to do anything like that and so he gave me this cane 
So I marched up and down, swishing it around, hoping that that would appease him and that would be enough for him. Until he suddenly said, um, are you going to cane me, mistress? So I thought, well, in for a penny, I'll have to get on with it. So I made him bend over the bed. I tapped him a little bit to start off with. And then it got a little bit harder. And then I I kind of heard him going, oh, ah, well, that spurred me on. It was just, I had this vision in my head of my ex-husband. Well, I just went for it until I realised that I wasn't even thinking about him. I was just revelling in it. I absolutely loved the fact that he was in pain. But although he was in pain, it was his kink. I would never cane anybody unless I knew it was their thing, unless it's a judicial. If I do a judicial punishment, then it's that means it's real time. That means that somebody's come to me because they've done something that they either can't get out of their head, they feel they're guilty about it, or they want to be put on the straight and narrow. So it could be um, like I have an alcoholic who is doing really, really well now because he comes to me for a judicial caning. But it's not just the caning even. It's the fact that I make him check in with me every day. So he texts me every day as to how he's doing. Um, And it's the same with I've got a, a compulsive gambler, one who couldn't stop nicking cars, all sorts and it, it does seem to work. It's a kind of therapy. I'm not trained in any way, but all I can say is it works. Like I had a smoker who was um, about my age, actually, and been told that he'd only had a couple of years because he was just a chain smoker. Even his beard was yellow. He was he walked and he, st- he just could not stop smoking. And he tried everything, hypnotherapy, patches, you name it, he tried it. And uh, he decided he wanted to try caning. Well, I did cane him, but not very hard. What I did do is I tied him into my chair and then I asked him if he wanted a cigarette. And he just beamed, yes, please, mistress. So I got his cigarettes out of his pocket, took one out And instead of putting one in his mouth and lighting it, I broke it in half and I just shoved it into his mouth and made him eat it. Of course, I had a little bowl at the side because I knew he would vomit, which he did. And then um, I just broke all the others up. Well, when he went, he had no cigarettes. He messaged me when he got home. He said he still felt really sick and couldn't, he hadn't stopped for cigarettes. And then the next morning, he texts me. He said he was going out for his paper. And he said, I have to tell you, I have to buy cigarettes. And I said, yeah, absolutely, that's fine. As long as you understand, the first cigarette you take out of the packet, you eat it. Well, that was probably about three and a half years ago now, and he's not smoked since. So... He's more frightened of me than he is of uh, the effects of the cigarettes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so actually there's a therapeutic role, which is, I mean, do, do people sometimes come and just want to talk? I mean, what do you feel about your clients? I, I'm sure there's a whole range of them. If they have a mental problem or a depression or anything like that, my attitude is different that because I then I really care. 
And that came to the fore really in all the lockdowns because so many of them couldn't visit a mistress. And I don't particularly mean me, I mean any mistress, their mistress. BDSM, being a, a submissive, being a sissy, being whatever you, you are in this world is compelling. If you, there is no outlet for it, it can affect you mentally. It can affect your mental outlook. Um, depression sets in. So, of course, during lockdown, all we could do was Skype. And so I did a lot of Skype sessions and things like that, which I'm, I don't particularly enjoy because I'm very hands-on. But it was better than nothing. But a lot of them that have got partners love to cross-dress. So they love, love to be sissies. They love to be dressed up. They love to be ordered around. I mean, some of these wives, partners, they are absolutely sitting on a gold mine. They could sit with their feet up and have their houses cleaned, the windows cleaned. They could have anything done that they wanted. If only they would say, get up and do that now. I had a lifestyle that was with me for about two years. Um, uh, he only left because his wife became ill and so he couldn't visit me. But he was cleaning all the windows in my conservatory once and he said, my conservatory is such a state at home, mistress. It really wants a good scrub. And I said, well, why don't you do it? He said, you've ordered me to do this and I'm loving every minute of it, but my wife won't do that. And so, come on, you wives. <laughs> Tell your men what to do. You know, you're saying in some ways you're like a therapist to them. Is there some traits that they all share or are they all very individual? I think the traits that they share is just the fact that they are submissive. They like to be controlled. I suppose the simplest way I can put it is somebody would say, well, what sort of person would come to you? And there is no type so I've got, right from, I've got a high court judge, I've got surgeons, teachers, dustmen, you name it, they come to me. And they come in and you can see this, the strain. And what they do is they hand it all over to me. And then I tell them what to do. And then when they leave, they're smiling. Do some of them say, I love you, I want to be with you, I want to marry you, you're my ideal woman? And, and if so, how do you deal with that? I have got um, a couple of lifestyles who love me, but not in the traditional being in love. And they tell me they love me, but I understand what they mean by that. They don't mean in a sort of let's get married type love, you know, it's different. I've had a couple that actually did... Because sometimes it's almost like your first crush on your teacher, you know, that sort of thing, which I can take very lightheartedly. I've only had a couple that have actually fallen in love with me. And unfortunately, then I can't see them anymore. One of them had a partner and I'm not in the habit of breaking up relationships. And I know that might sound strange that you, you might say, well, don't you feel guilty? Well, actually, do you know what? I don't because there is no sex between us. And I've had a couple that, um, especially during lockdown, that one actually died, had COVID and died. And his wife was going through 
papers and things and found my details. She sent me a lovely email and um, she said that two or three years ago, her husband had been, he'd been suffering with depression for some time. And she said he started to change and he became like a different person. And she said, and they were the happiest years they'd had since they'd been together. She said, and now she understands why, because he had kept from her the fact that he had this kink and he didn't think that she would understand it. And she thanked me and said, thank you for all you did for our relationship. It was really, really moving. But sometimes, you know, that's one of the drawbacks. You can have a real rapport with somebody and if suddenly they stop and there's no apparent reason, you don't know why. Did he die? Was he was he in an accident? What's happened? Yeah, so that's one of the hard parts of what I do. Has it ever got to a place where you think, gosh, I've, I've actually begun to get really, you know, big feelings for this person and I'd like to have a relationship with them? Or, or do you just keep things incredibly boundaried? No, 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 never. I mean, I have a couple of lifestyles. Now, a lifestyle is totally different to um, a session. A session comes in and they pay tribute. And um, it's quite strange because in a way they're topping from the bottom because I've asked them what their kinks are. But I have to bear that in mind because they're paying for the session. And so although they're still thinking they're submissive, it's can you do this and can you do that and, and can you say this and can you say that and sometimes I have to, I do have to grip my teeth a bit because it's not what I want to be saying or doing whereas my lifestyle they don't pay tribute but he will do every single thing I tell him to do without question he's totally he's owned he wears my collar it's locked he never takes it off they know they see it at work they see his family see it everyone sees it and he's proud as punch and he's got tattooed across his just above his nether regions property of mistress sophia <laughs> does he? he he's yours yes do you have relationships romantic relationships or, or any relationships that have to be romantic outside of your work um I, n- I, not at the moment no i have done but i can't be bothered <laughs> I well, it just, sounds like it's quite a full-time I, job this caning and locking and dressing people up as gorillas i mean also it sounds quite a lot of fun on some level it sounds like you, you get to do a lot of play i absolutely love what i do and also it's not that i don't go out i'll go out with one of my subs or slaves and i go out for dinner or whatever but you know what? I never have to worry, oh, God, we're going to be going home. And is it going to be, can I come in for coffee or slip my arm around? Is he going to go in for the kiss? There's none of that. So we can go out and have a chat. And, I, and they're very good company. But they know their place and they know what I am to them. And so I've got the best of both worlds. You're safe and secure, aren't you? Because you, no one's going to try and jump you because because they're subs, they're submissive, so they're not going to do that. And, and that's one of the questions I am asked. Don't you ever worry that you're letting strangers into your, you know? And uh, and you know what? I don't. Everyone that comes through my door, they're so submissive, they're frightened to death of me. 
the original caning, okay, I'm fascinated by this. You're caning this man and you get totally in touch with your inner rage at your ex-husband who's left you high and dry and financially moribund. Do you ever get worried that you're going to take it too far? I mean, is it always your ex-husband you're caning or is it turned into something a bit different? No, I never think of him now. No, that was the very first time. I only did it for about five minutes and then suddenly realised, why am I thinking about him? I love what I'm doing. So, But I'm very experienced and I know where to cane. I know where not to cane. I mentor up-and-coming doms. As long as they meet my criteria, I don't take on youngsters because they can make their own way in life like we all have to. But anybody who's been through something traumatic like I did and who obviously has a dominant side and wants to take it further, then I'll take them on because you know, when I first started it, oh my gosh, I made I made so many mistakes. If I'd have had somebody to mentor me, it would have been fantastic. So strangely enough, how that came about, I was on first, you know, first dates. Well, I was on there twice and I must have had over a hundred emails from females <laughs> because they'd seen the program and they'd said that I'd inspired them and they were left like I was and they decided now they were going to get up and do something. But if I can help anybody do it properly, because caning, you don't, you've got to be careful. You can't do wraparounds. I was very lucky when I was caning. He wanted to be caned everywhere. And I caned him right down his back, right down to his knees. And that was very, not very a responsible thing to do. <laughs> do you come up with sort of theories about why people want this level of pain? Or do you just think, I don't, I don't care. I don't care why you want it. <laughs> You know, you're paying me, I'm offering a service and that's what I'm doing. I do ask sometimes when I've got unusual things, um, because I'm intrigued, you know, why, where's this kink come from sort of thing. Most that want to be actually caned on, I've got a school desk, which is a 1960s with the little inkwell school desk. And most that want to come in there, there and be caned over there are older ones and they were caned at school they want to go through that so I've got a mortar and a gown and I'm the headmistress and we do the whole full kind of scenario which I love I love doing it and then I make them sit down they'll write lines stand in the corner and at the end they have a good caning the younger ones that want to be caned they're on my leather whipping bench strapped down, chained, and that's the way they like it because that's the real BDSM. And then usually I'm wearing leather. Yeah, imagine a 70-year-old in leather and, and PVC and thigh boots. Whereas for the school one, if I'm not in the mortar and the cape, then I'm usually in like a suit, pencil skirt, you know, stilettos, that sort of thing. So there's always different. Uh, sometimes I, I change three or four times a day. So do you ever wake up and look at your list of people and think, oh, I can't be bothered. I just want to put on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt and have a hot chocolate and sit in front of the fire. And now I've got to go and put on full PVC and high heels and I really can't be bothered. Well, yeah, I guess so, because I think everybody has days where they, they can't be bothered to sort of work. If I'm honest... If I had my way, I would work in a tracksuit 
and I would do my best work because I'd be really, really comfortable. But it's not acceptable because I'm a dom. But I have got one or two that come for judicial and I do wear tracksuits because they've come for the pain and for the judicial punishment, not to see what I'm looking like and what I'm wearing. So you've got a full wardrobe of all sorts of outfits and shoes and boots and whips and chains. and I think I've got over 100 pairs of boots and some I've got pleaser shoes like that. I can't walk in them. I've got pictures on my website or sometimes on my Twitter and I've been helped. Well, I want you over there. Well, you'll have to get me over there because I can't walk in them. So there are things on your website that you do doing things that you don't do. And you've got a waiting list of, is it all women? I never train men because I, I believe in female supremacy. I wouldn't want to train a man to be a dom. No, I've had a couple, twice I've had a couple that have come and he's been a dom and he's brought his sub with him and he's actually, um, I'd, oh, I want to be on the receiving end. I just want to feel what I dish out. And then he's he's shown me a, a clip of what he's done to his sub, who's actually his wife as well, and um, made my blood boil. I mean, she was in agony. She was crying. And so, of course, when it came to my turn, I strapped him on the bench and uh, he was an absolute wuss. Within three or four minutes, he was crying and begging me to stop. I thought, oh, God, you know. (laughs) So would you say that there's quite a part in you that just basically thinks men are pretty rubbish? Or, you know, do you find that, that there's a rage against men or is it not really that? No, I think that's another question that I'm asked a lot. Because I've had three failed marriages, I'm asked, do I do this because I hate men? Absolutely not, because I don't hate men. And actually, all the men that come to me, they're sweethearts. They worship me. They love me. I mean, what's not to love about that, that somebody comes through your door and falls on their knees and kisses your boots? It sounds fantastic. And then pays you. Yeah, exactly. So how how would I not like that? It's nothing to do with having bad marriages. I just made bad choices. How long does the training take? Let's say I wanted to sign up. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty dominant person. Um, how long would it take to train me up to be an effective dominatrix? It varies. Depends how far you want to take it as well. Like I've got a couple that just literally wanted to do foot worship. There's hardly any training needed for that. You just have to, obviously, you can't just sit there and let them get on with it. So you have to say things to them. The more intricate things that really need training are needle play, sounding, that's uh, sounding rods down the urethra. So, um, okay, I haven't even got a penis and that's making me nervous. Right. So obviously you have to know what you're doing. And I'm also very, very fussy about health and hygiene. So everything has to be sterilized. You know, that goes without saying. I've had some subs that have come to me and said they've gone to some mistresses and they've they actually had to walk out because the state of the place. So I do show them, you know, the Milton's there, everything gets put straight into that afterwards. And if you're going to be a dom, you have to be a dom responsibly. Same with when you are giving out punishment. I'm not in the habit of punishing anybody so that they're maimed 
permanently or anything like that, you'd be amazed how many ask, and they're absolutely serious, would I castrate them? I would guess I get asked at least once a week. And of course, I'm not going to do that. No. (laughs) Or they have fantasies about things they want me to do and things I wouldn't dream of doing, you know. So you just say, no, that's not what I do. I don't even answer. I just block them. So when um, do your friends and your family know what you do? Oh, of course. I mean, all my children obviously are adults, but two still live at home. So they're used to seeing a sissy walking around with a feather duster. And, you know, sometimes they go out and have their cars cleaned by a sissy or a a slave in latex. Or all my neighbours know they're quite used to seeing a sissy out there in a little blonde wig and a pink frock cleaning my windows. This is brilliant. Your neighbours look out and they see a sissy out there doing your windows and they think, oh, look, she's getting her windows done. The only thing I won't do is I wouldn't send a gimp mask to the shops or out in public because... I have to be very aware that there are children around and that can be frightening. But I'll quite often send one out in a little fluffy bunny outfit or or even a gorilla thing because it's a it's humorous. I took one down to Asda once in a bunny outfit and sent him in to buy some milk and something or other. I heard this little girl saying, Mummy, look at that big bunny. <laughs> so. I thought it was the Easter bunny, but maybe at the wrong time of year. If someone's interested in becoming, if someone is a sub, how do they find a dominatrix? Is it easy to find? Do they, I mean, they can find you online. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But can, what's the best way for them to contact someone? There's actually, there's several ways. You can Google uh, dominatrix and usually I'm at the top because I'm good. <laughs> you can look, find one on Twitter, all over the place. My advice would be to be careful, though, because there are femdoms and there are findoms. Unless you're really into financial domination, I would tend to steer clear from that. I don't do financial domination in the fact that they want to do cash point meets where you just take out money, get on their knees and give it to the mistress. And I don't like that. But, you know, the thing is, there are pay piggies and that's their kink. So there is always a need for it. But what I would advise is that if you're a pay piggy, just find a findom that is experienced. So you just have to be responsible. Given the fact you've got all this experience, how, and people may want to know more, they may want to get in touch with you. How do we find you? How do people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter and it's at Sherry Lever. Um, I'm on Instagram, Sherry Lever, but easily to just Google Sherry Lever and it will give you my Twitter. It gives you everything. Yeah. <laughs> so people can find you. And just to ask, do women ever come and see you? I, I don't take women because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in punishing a female. I'm not saying that it shouldn't go on because, of course, it does. And I know there are. But and I have been asked, can I be your slave? And it's a woman. But that would not be sit comfortably with me. No, not at all. So it all sounds so interesting. Everything you told me. Is there anywhere we can read about you and and the work that you do? Well, I have written a couple of books. The first one is autobiographical, and that's from the Mrs. to Dominatrix. 
and you can get that. You can get it on Amazon, but you can also get it on payhip.com. And also I've got copies that I would sign if anybody wanted to get in touch with me. And my second one is called Sophia's Dilemmas, and that's kind of fact and fiction mixed. Do you know you'd make a brilliant agony aunt? I would. <laughs> Someone ought to sign you up to be an agony aunt. I think you'd be fantastic. This morning between Phil and Holly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think you'd be really good at answering people's dilemmas because you've seen so much in your room. And actually, that is one of the things. It's almost like being a father confessor, but female, because a lot come into me and before they know it, their session's nearly over because they've been talking about something that's happening at home. And they've got nobody else to talk to about it because it's such a strange sort of situation. Who do you talk to, you know? Thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. So I found this talk with Sherry absolutely fascinating. I think she's a really amazing, interesting woman with a lot of heart, actually. I think she provides a service for men in her case, because as she said, she doesn't see women, to come and explore stuff that they really feel they, they need to. But it also sounds like she talks to them, she helps them, she listens to them. She's very boundaried, which I think is really important. So people know what they're going to get from her and they're able to say what they want. And she is like a therapist. She really provides a service that maybe people can't find somewhere else. And she's you know, very moral about it. She, she sets things up so that people know what they're doing and what they're getting. Also, she's just loads of fun. You know, she's just a fun person to talk to and be around. So I found it really fascinating. Would I join her Dominatrix Academy? Oh, there's a little bit of me that really would. You know, I think, gosh, that, that must be quite an interesting way to make a living. However, I do think that getting up in the morning and thinking, do I dress, what do I need to dress up in? And seven inch heels and all that faff with the collars and the padlocks. I actually think I'd rather probably just um, have a bowl of cereals and a, a cup of tea and get on with the sort of job that I, that I do as a love coach. But I think if you want to train as one or you want to go see one or you want to talk to someone about it, she is the go-to person. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of Later Data. Please subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast to hear the next instalment of where my Later Data adventures take me. And if you've enjoyed this, please rate or leave a lovely review. And if you want to find me online, it's easy and not that easy, but I'm at lucylovecoach.co.uk. And while you're there, please follow Aura Studios on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. See you next time. Later, daters. Mm -hmm.